Section 93 of the Book of Household Management. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dennis Sayers. The Book of Household Management by Isabella Beaton. Domestic Servants. Chapter 41, Part 1. 2153. It is the custom of society to abuse its servants, a façon de parler, such as leads their lords and masters to talk of the weather, and when rurally inclined, of the crops, leads matronly ladies, and ladies just entering on their probation, in that honoured and honourable state, to talk of servants, and, as we are told, wax eloquent over the greatest plague in life, while taking a quiet cup of tea. Young men at their clubs also, we are told, like to abuse their fellows, perhaps not without a certain pride and pleasure at the opportunity of intimating that they enjoy such appendages to their state. It is another conviction of society that the race of good servants has died out, at least in England, although they do order these things better in France, that there is neither honesty, conscientiousness, nor the careful and industrious habits which distinguish the servants of our grandmothers and great-grandmothers, that domestics no longer know their place, that the introduction of cheap silks and cottons, and still more recently, those ambiguous materials and tweeds, have removed the landmarks between the mistress and her maid, between the master and his man. 2154. When the distinction really depends on things so insignificant, this is very probably the case. When the lady of fashion chooses her footman, without any other consideration than his height, shape, and tournure of his calf, it is not surprising that she should find a domestic who has no attachment for the family, who considers the figure he cuts behind her carriage, and the late hours he is compelled to keep, a full compensation for the wages he exacts, for the food he wastes, and for the perquisites he can lay his hands on. Nor should the fast young man, who chooses his groom for his knowingness in the ways of the turf, and in the tricks of low horse-dealers, be surprised if he is sometimes the victim of these learned ways. But these are the exceptional cases, which prove the existence of a better state of things. The great masses of society among us are not thus 
deserted. There are few families of respectability, from the shopkeeper in the next street, to the nobleman whose mansion dignifies the next square, which do not contain among their dependents attached and useful servants, and where these are absent altogether, there are good reasons for it. The sensible master and the kind mistress know that if servants depend on them for their means of living, in their turn they are dependent on their servants for very many of the comforts of life, and that, with a proper amount of care in choosing servants, and treating them like reasonable beings, and making slight excuses for the shortcomings of human nature, they will, save in some exceptional case, be tolerably well served, and in most instances surround themselves with attached domestics. 2155 This remark, which is applicable to all domestics, is especially so to men-servants. Families accustomed to such attendance have always about them humble dependents, whose children have no other prospect than domestic service to look forward to. To them it presents no degradation, but the reverse to be so employed. They are initiated step by step into the mysteries of the household, with the prospect of rising in the service, if it is a house admitting of promotion, to the respectable position of butler or house steward. In families of humbler pretensions, where they must look for promotion elsewhere, they know that can only be attained by acquiring the good will of their employers. Can there be any stronger security for their good conduct, any doubt that, in the mass of domestic servants, good conduct is the rule, the reverse the exception? 2156. The number of the male domestics in a family varies according to the wealth and position of the master. From the owner of the ducal mansion, with a retinue of attendants, at the head of which is the chamberlain and house steward, to the occupier of the humbler house, where a single footman, or even the odd man of all work, is the only male retainer. The majority of gentlemen's establishments probably comprise a servant out of livery, or butler, a footman, and coachman, or coachman and groom, where the horses exceed two or three. Duties of the Butler 2157 The domestic duties of the butler are to bring in the eatables at breakfast, and wait upon the family at that meal, assisted by the footman, and see to the cleanliness of everything at table. On taking away, he removes the tray with the china and plate, for which he is responsible. At luncheon, he arranges the meal, and waits unassisted, the footman being now engaged in other duties. 
At dinner he places the silver and plated articles on the table, sees that everything is in its place, and rectifies what is wrong. He carries in the first dish, and announces in the drawing-room that dinner is on the table, and respectfully stands by the door until the company are seated, when he takes his place behind his master's chair on the left, to remove the covers, handing them to the other attendants to carry out. After the first course of plates is supplied, his place is at the sideboard to serve the wines, but only when called on. 2158. The first course ended, he rings the cook's bell, and hands the dishes from the table to the other servants to carry away, receiving from them the second course, which he places on the table, removing the covers as before, and again taking his place at the sideboard. 2159. At dessert, the slips being removed, the butler receives the dessert from the other servants, and arranges it on the table, with plates and glasses, and then takes his place behind his master's chair to hand the wines and ices, while the footman stands beside his mistress for the same purpose, the other attendants leaving the room. Where the old-fashioned practice of having the dessert on the polished table, without any cloth, is still adhered to, the butler should rub off any marks made by the hot dishes before arranging the dessert. 2160. Before dinner, he has satisfied himself that the lamps, candles, or gas burners are in perfect order, if not lighted, which will usually be the case. Having served every one with their share of the dessert, put the fires in order, when these are used, and seeing the lights are all right, at a signal from his master, he and the footman leave the room. 2161. He now proceeds to the drawing-room, and arranges the fireplace, and sees to the lights. He then returns to his pantry, prepared to answer the bell, and attend to the company, while the footman is clearing away and cleaning the plate and glasses. 2162. At tea he again attends. At bedtime he appears with the candles, he locks up the plate, secures doors and windows, and sees that all the fires are safe. 2163. In addition to these duties, the butler, where only one footman is kept, will be required to perform some of the duties of the valet, to pay bills, and superintend the other servants. But the real duties of the butler are in the wine cellar. There he should be competent to advise his master as to the price and quality of the wine to be laid in. Fine, bottle, cork, and seal it, and place it in the bins. Brewing, racking, and bottling malt liquors belong to his office, as well as their distribution. These and other drinkables 
are brought from the cellar every day by his own hands, except where an under-butler is kept, and a careful entry of every bottle used entered in the cellar book, so that the book should always show the contents of the cellar. 2164. The office of the butler is thus one of very great trust in a household. Here, as elsewhere, honesty is the best policy. The butler should make it his business to understand the proper treatment of the different wines under his charge, which he can easily do from the wine merchant, and faithfully attend to it. His own reputation will soon compensate for the absence of bribes from unprincipled wine merchants, if he serves a generous and hospitable master. Nothing spreads more rapidly in society than the reputation of a good wine-seller, and all that is required is wines well chosen and well cared for, and this a little knowledge, carefully applied, will soon supply. 2165 the butler, we have said, has charge of the contents of the cellars, and it is his duty to keep them in a proper condition, to fine down wine in wood, bottle it off, and store it away in places suited to the sorts. Where wine comes into the cellar, ready bottled, it is usual to return the same number of empty bottles. The butler has not, in this case, the same inducements to keep the bottles of the different sorts separated, but where the wine is bottled in the house, he will find his account, not only in keeping them separate, but in rinsing them well, and even washing them with clean water as soon as they are empty. 2166 there are various modes of fining wine. Isinglass, gelatine, and gum arabic are all used for the purpose. Whichever of these articles is used, the process is always the same. Supposing eggs, the cheapest, to be used, draw a gallon or so of the wine and mix one quart of it with the whites of four eggs by stirring it with a whisk. Afterwards, when thoroughly mixed, pour it back into the cask through the bunghole, and stir up the whole cask in a rotary direction, with a clean split stick inserted through the bunghole. Having stirred it sufficiently, pour in the remainder of the wine drawn off, until the cask is full then stir again, skimming off the bubbles that rise to the surface. When thoroughly mixed by stirring, close the bunghole and leave it to stand for three or four days. This quantity of clarified wine will fine thirteen dozen of port or sherry. The other clearing ingredients are applied in the same manner the material being cut into small pieces and dissolved in the quart of wine, and the cask 
stirred in the same manner. 2167. To bottle wine. Having thoroughly washed and dried the bottles, supposing they have been before used for the same kind of wine, provide corks, which will be improved by being slightly boiled, or at least steeped in hot water. A wooden hammer or mallet, a bottling boot, and a squeezer for the corks. Bore a hole in the lower part of the cask with a gimlet, receiving the liquid stream which follows in the bottle and filterer, which is placed in a tub or basin. This operation is best performed by two persons, one to draw the wine, the other to cork the bottles. The drawer is to see that the bottles are up to the mark, but not too full, the bottle being placed in a clean tub to prevent waste. The corking boot is buckled by a strap to the knee, the bottle placed in it, and the cork, after being squeezed in the press, driven in by a flat wooden mallet. 2168 as the wine draws near to the bottom of the cask, a thick piece of muslin is placed in the strainer to prevent the viscous grounds from passing into the bottle. 2169. Having carefully counted the bottles, they are stored away in their respective bins, a layer of sand or sawdust being placed under the first tier, and another over it. A second tier is laid over this, protected by a lath, the head of the second being laid to the bottom of the first. Over this another bed of sawdust is laid, not too thick, another lath, and so on till the bin is filled. 2170. Wine so laid in will be ready for use according to its quality and age. Port wine, old in the wood, will be ready to drink in five or six months. But if it is a fruity wine, it will improve every year. Sherry, if of good quality, will be fit to drink as soon as the sickness, as its first condition after bottling is called, ceases, and will also improve. But the cellar must be kept at a perfectly steady temperature, neither too hot nor too cold, but about fifty-five or sixty degrees, and absolutely free from draughts of cold air. Duties of the Footman 2171 Where a single footman, or odd man, is the only male servant, then, whatever his ostensible position, he is required to make himself generally useful. He has to clean the knives and shoes, the furniture, the plate, answer the visitors who call, the drawing-room and parlour bells, and do all the errands. His life is no sinecure, and a methodical arrangement of his time will be necessary in order to perform his many duties with any satisfaction to himself or his master. 2172. 
the footman only finds himself in stockings, shoes, and washing. Where silk stockings or other extra articles of linen are worn, they are found by the family, as well as his livery, a working dress, consisting of a pair of overalls, a waistcoat, a fustian jacket, with a white or jean one for times when he is liable to be called to answer the door or wait at breakfast, and on quitting his service he is expected to leave behind him any livery had within six months. 2173. The footman is expected to rise early, in order to get through all his dirty work before the family are stirring. Boots and shoes and knives and forks should be cleaned, lamps in use trimmed, his master's clothes brushed, the furniture rubbed over, so that he may put aside his working dress, tidy himself, and appear in a clean jean jacket to lay the cloth and prepare breakfast for the family. 2174 we need hardly dwell on the boot-cleaning process. Three good brushes and good blacking must be provided, one of the brushes hard to rub off the mud, the other soft to lay on the blacking, the third of a medium hardness for polishing, and each should be kept for its particular use. The blacking should be well corked up, except when in use and applied to the brush with a sponge tied to a stick, which, when put away, rests in a notch cut in the cork. When boots come in very muddy, it is a good practice to wash off the mud and wipe them dry with the sponge. Then leave them to dry very gradually on their sides, taking care they are not placed near the fire or scorched. Much delicacy of treatment is required in cleaning ladies' boots, so as to make the leather look well polished, and the upper part retain a fresh appearance, with the lining free from hand-marks, which are very offensive to a lady of refined tastes. 2175 Patent leather boots require to be wiped with a wet sponge, and afterwards with a soft dry cloth, and occasionally with a soft cloth and sweet oil, blacking and polishing the edge of the soles in the usual way, but so as not to cover the patent polish with blacking. A little milk may also be used with very good effect for patent leather boots. 2176 Top boots are still occasionally worn by gentlemen. While cleaning the lower part in the usual manner, protect the tops by inserting a cloth or brown paper under the edges and bringing it over them. In cleaning the tops, let the covering fall down over the boot. Wash the tops clean with soap and flannel, and rub out any spots with pumice stone. If the tops are to be whiter, dissolve an ounce of oxalic acid and half an ounce of pumice stone in a pint of soft water. If a brown color is intended, 
mix an ounce of muriatic acid, half an ounce of alum, half an ounce of gum arabic, and half an ounce of spirit of lavender, in a pint and a half of skimmed milk, turned. These mixtures apply by means of a sponge, and polish, when dry, with a rubber made of soft flannel. 2177. Knives are now generally cleaned by means of Kent's or Master's machine, which gives very little trouble, and is very effective. Before, however, putting the knives into the machine, it is highly necessary that they be first washed in a little warm, not hot, water, and then thoroughly wiped. If put into the machine with any grease on them, it adheres to the brushes, and consequently renders them unfit to use for the next knives that may be put in. When this precaution is not taken, the machine must come to pieces, so causing an immense amount of trouble, which may all be avoided by having the knives thoroughly free from grease before using the machine. Brushes are also used for cleaning forks, which facilitate the operation. When knives are so cleaned, see that they are carefully polished, wiped, and with a good edge, the ferrules and prongs free from dirt, and place them in the basket with the handles all one way. 2178 Lamp trimming requires a thorough acquaintance with the mechanism. After that, constant attention to cleanliness, and an occasional entire cleaning out with hot water. When this is done, all the parts should be carefully dried before filling again with oil. When lacquered, wipe the lacquered parts with a soft brush and cloth, and wash occasionally with weak soapsuds, wiping carefully afterwards. Brass lamps may be cleaned with oil and rotten stone every day when trimmed. With bronze and other ornamental lamps, more care will be required, and soft flannel and oil only used, to prevent the removal of the bronze or enamel. Brass work, or any metal work, not lacquered, is cleaned by a little oil and rotten stone made into a paste, or with fine emery powder and oil mixed in the same manner. A small portion of sal ammoniac, beat into a fine powder and moistened with soft water, rubbed over brass ornaments and heated over a charcoal fire, and rubbed dry with bran or whitening, will give to brasswork the brilliancy of gold. In trimming moderator lamps, let the wick be cut evenly all round, as if left higher in one place than it is in another, it will cause it to smoke and burn badly. The lamp should then be filled with oil from a feeder, and afterwards well wiped with a cloth or rag kept for the purpose. If it can be avoided, never wash the chimneys of a lamp, 
as it causes them to crack when they become hot. Small sticks covered with wash leather pads are the best things to use for cleaning the glasses inside, and a clean duster for polishing the outside. The globe of a moderator lamp should be occasionally washed in warm soap and water, then well rinsed in cold water, and either wiped dry or left to drain. Where candle lamps are used, take out the springs occasionally, and free them well from the grease that adheres to them. 2179. French polish, so universally applied to furniture, is easily kept in condition by dusting and rubbing with a soft cloth, or a rubber of old silk. But dining tables can only be kept in order by hard rubbing, or rather by quick rubbing, which warms the wood and removes all spots. 2180. Brushing clothes is a very simple but very necessary operation. Fine cloths require to be brushed lightly, and with rather a soft brush, except where mud is to be removed, when a hard one is necessary, being previously beaten lightly to dislodge the dirt. Lay the garment on a table, and brush it in the direction of the nap. Having brushed it properly, turn the sleeves back to the collar, so that the folds may come at the elbow joints. Next turn the lapels, or sides, back over the folded sleeves. Then lay the skirts over level with the collar, so that the crease may fall about the center, and double one half over the other, so as the fold comes in the center of the back. 2181. Having got through his dirty work, the single footman has now to clean himself and prepare the breakfast. He lays the cloth on the table, over it the breakfast cloth, and sets the breakfast things in order, and then proceeds to wait upon his master, if he has any of the duties of a valet to perform. 2182. Where a valet is not kept, a portion of his duties falls to the footman's share, brushing the clothes among others. When the hat is silk, it requires brushing every day with a soft brush. After rain, it requires wiping the way of the nap before drying. And when nearly dry, brushing with the soft brush and with the hat stick in it. If the footman is required to perform any part of a valet's duty, he will have to see that the housemaid lights a fire in the dressing-room in due time, that the room is dusted and cleaned, that the wash-hand ewer is filled with soft water, and that the bath, whether hot or cold, is ready when required, that towels are at hand, that hair-brushes and combs are properly cleansed and in their places, that hot water is ready at the hour ordered, the dressing-gown and slippers in their place, the clean linen aired, and the clothes to be worn for the day in their proper places, 
After the master has dressed, it will be the footman's duty to restore everything to its place properly cleansed and dry, and the whole restored to order. 2183. At breakfast, when there is no butler, the footman carries up the tea-urn, and, assisted by the housemaid, he waits during breakfast. Breakfast over, he removes the tray and other things off the table, folds up the breakfast cloth, and sets the room in order, by sweeping up all crumbs, shaking the cloth, and laying it on the table again, making up the fire, and sweeping up the hearth. 2184. At luncheon time, nearly the same routine is observed, except where the footman is either out with the carriage or away on other business, when, in the absence of any butler, the housemaid must assist. 2185. For dinner, the footman lays the cloth, taking care that the table is not too near the fire, if there is one, and that passage-room is left. A tablecloth should be laid without a wrinkle, and this requires two persons. Over this the slips are laid, which are usually removed preparatory to placing dessert on the table. He prepares knives, forks, and glasses, with five or six plates for each person. This done, he places chairs enough for the party, distributing them equally on each side of the table, and opposite to each, a napkin neatly folded, within it a piece of bread or a small roll, and a knife on the right side of each plate, a fork on the left, and a carving knife and fork at the top and bottom of the table, outside the others, with the rests opposite to them, and a gravy spoon beside the knife. The fish slice should be at the top, where the lady of the house, with the assistance of the gentleman next to her, divides the fish, and the soup ladle at the bottom. It is sometimes usual to add a dessert knife and fork, at the same time, on the right side also of each plate. Put a wine glass for as many kinds of wine as it is intended to hand round, and a finger glass, or glass cooler, about four inches from the edge. The latter are frequently put on the table with the dessert. 2186. About half an hour before dinner, he rings the dinner bell, where that is the practice, and occupies himself with carrying up everything he is likely to require. At the expiration of the time, having communicated with the cook, he rings the real dinner bell, and proceeds to take it up with such assistance as he can obtain. Having ascertained that all is in order, that his own dress is clean and presentable, and his white cotton gloves are without a stain, he announces in the drawing-room that dinner is served, and stands respectfully by the door until the company are seated. He places himself on the left, behind the master, who is to distribute the soup. Where soup and fish are served together, his place will be at his mistress's left hand, but he must be on the alert to see that 
whoever is assisting him, whether male or female, are at their posts. If any of the guests has brought his own servant with him, his place is behind his master's chair, rendering such assistance to others as he can, while attending to his master's wants throughout the dinner, so that every guest has what he requires. This necessitates both activity and intelligence, and should be done without bustle, without asking any questions, except where it is the custom of the house, to hand round dishes or wine, when it will be necessary to mention, in a quiet and unobtrusive manner, the dish or wine you present. 2187. Salt cellars should be placed on the table in number sufficient for the guests, so that each may help themselves, or at least their immediate neighbors. Dinners a la Russe 2188. In some houses the dinner is laid out with plate and glass and ornamented with flowers the dessert only being placed on the table, the dinner itself being placed on the sideboard, and handed round in succession. In the courses of soup, fish, entrees, meat, game, and sweets. This is not only elegant, but economical, as fewer dishes are required, the symmetry of the table being made up with the ornaments and dessert. The various dishes are also handed round when hot, but it involves additional and superior attendance, as the wines are also handed round, and unless the servants are very active and intelligent, many blunders are likely to be made. General Observations 2189 While attentive to all, the footman should be obtrusive to none. He should give nothing but on a waiter, and always hand it with the left hand, and on the left side of the person he serves, and hold it so that the guest may take it with ease. In lifting dishes from the table, he should use both hands, and remove them with care, so that nothing is spilt on the tablecloth or on the dresses of the guests. 2190. Masters, as well as servants, sometimes make mistakes. But it is not expected that a servant will correct any omissions, even if he should have time to notice them, although with the best intentions. Thus it would not be correct, for instance, if he observed that his master took wine with the ladies all round, as some gentlemen still continued to do, but stopped at someone, to nudge him on the shoulder and say, as was done by the servant of a Scottish gentleman, what ails you at her in the green gown? It will be better to leave the lady unnoticed than for the servant thus to turn his master into ridicule. 2191 during dinner each person's knife, fork, plate, and spoon should be changed as soon as he is done with it. 
The vegetables and sauces belonging to the different dishes presented without remark to the guests, and the footman should tread lightly in moving around, and, if possible, should bear in mind, if there is a wit or humorist of the party, whose good things keep the table in a roar, that they are not expected to reach his ears. 2192 in opening wine, let it be done quietly, and without shaking the bottle. If crusted, let it be inclined to the crusted side, and decanted while in that position. In opening champagne, it is not necessary to discharge it with a pop. Properly cooled, the cork is easily extracted without an explosion. When the cork is out, the mouth of the bottle should be wiped with the napkin over the footman's arm. 2193 At the end of the first course, notice is conveyed to the cook, who is waiting to send up the second, which is introduced in the same way as before, the attendants who remove the fragments, carrying the dishes into the kitchen, and handing them to the footman or butler whose duty it is to arrange them on the table. After dinner, the dessert glasses and wines are placed on the table by the footman, who places himself behind his master's chair to supply wine and hand round the ices and other refreshments, all other servants leaving the room. 2194 As soon as the drawing-room bell rings for tea, the footman enters with the tray, which has been previously prepared, hands the tray round to the company with cream and sugar, the tea and coffee being generally poured out, while another attendant hands cakes, toast, or biscuits. If it is an ordinary family party, where this social meal is prepared by the mistress, he carries the urn or kettle, as the case may be hands round the toast, or such other eatable as may be required, removing the whole in the same manner when tea is over. 2195 After each meal, the footman's place is in his pantry. Here perfect order should prevail, a place for everything, and everything in its place. A sink with hot and cold water laid on is very desirable, cold absolutely necessary. Wooden bowls or tubs of sufficient capacity are required, one for hot and another for cold water. Have the bowl three parts full of clean hot water, in this wash all plate and plated articles, which are greasy, wiping them before cleaning with the brush. 2196. The footman in small families, where only one man is kept, has many of the duties of the upper servants to perform as well as his own, and more constant occupation. He will also have the arrangement of his time more immediately under his own control, and he will do well to reduce it to a methodical division. All his rough work should be done before breakfast is ready, 
when he must appear clean, and in a presentable state. After breakfast, when everything belonging to his pantry is cleaned and put in its place, the furniture in the dining and drawing rooms requires rubbing. Towards noon, the parlor luncheon is to be prepared, and he must be at his mistress's disposal to go out with the carriage, or follow her if she walks out. 2197 Glass is a beautiful and most fragile article. Hence it requires great care in washing. A perfectly clean wooden bowl is best for this operation, one for moderately hot and another for cold water. Wash the glasses well in the first, and rinse them in the second, and turn them down on a linen cloth folded two or three times, to drain for a few minutes. When sufficiently drained, wipe them with a cloth, and polish with a finer one, doing so tenderly and carefully. Accidents will happen, but nothing discredits a servant in the drawing-room more than continual reports of breakages, which, of course, must reach that region. 2198 Decanters and water jugs require still more tender treatment in cleaning, inasmuch as they are more costly to replace. Fill them about two-thirds with hot, but not boiling, water, and put in a few pieces of well-soaped brown paper, and leave them thus for two or three hours. Then shake the water up and down in the decanters, empty this out, rinse them well with clean cold water, and put them in a rack to drain. When dry, polish them outside and inside, as far as possible, with a fine cloth. To remove the crust of port or other wines, add a little muriatic acid to the water, and let it remain for some time. 2199 when required to go out with the carriage, it is the footman's duty to see that it has come to the door perfectly clean, and that the glasses and sashes and linings are free from dust. In receiving messages at the carriage door, he should turn his ear to the speaker, so as to comprehend what is said, in order that he may give his directions to the coachman clearly. When the house he is to call at is reached, he should knock and return to the carriage for orders. In closing the door upon the family, he should see that the handle is securely turned, and that no part of the lady's dress is shut in. 2200 it is the footman's duty to carry messages or letters for his master or mistress to their friends, to the post, or to the tradespeople. And nothing is more important than dispatch and exactness in doing so, although writing even the simplest message is now the ordinary and very proper practice. 
Dean Swift, among his other quaint directions, all of which are to be read by contraries, recommends a perusal of all such epistles, in order that you may be more able to fulfill your duty to your master. An old lady of Forfarshire had one of those odd old Caleb Balderston sort of servants, who construed the dean of St. Patrick more literally. On one occasion, when dispatch was of some importance, knowing his inquiring nature, she called her Scotch Paul Pry to her, opened the note, and read it to him herself, saying, Now, Andrew, you can ab about it, and needn't stop to open and read it, but just take it at once. Probably most of the notes you are expected to carry might, with equal harmlessness, be communicated to you, but it will be better not to take so lively an interest in your mistress's affairs. 2201. Politeness and civility to visitors is one of the things masters and mistresses have a right to expect, and should exact rigorously. When visitors present themselves, the servant charged with the duty of opening the door will open it promptly, and answer without hesitation, if the family are not at home, or engaged, which generally means the same thing, and might be oftener used with advantage to morals. On the contrary, if he has no such orders, he will answer affirmatively, open the door wide to admit them, and precede them to open the door of the drawing-room, if the family are not there, he will place chairs for them, open the blinds if the room is too dark, and intimate civilly that he goes to inform his mistress. If the lady is in her drawing-room, he announces the name of the visitors, having previously acquainted himself with it. In this part of his duty, it is necessary to be very careful to repeat the names correctly. Mispronouncing names is very apt to give offense, and leads sometimes to other disagreeables. The writer was once initiated into some of the secrets on the other side of a legal affair in which he took an interest, before he could correct a mistake made by the servant in announcing him. When the visitor is departing, the servant should be at hand, ready when rung for, to open the door. He should open it with a respectful manner, and close it gently when the visitors are fairly beyond the threshold. When several visitors arrive together, he should take care not to mix up the different names together, where they belong to the same family, as Mr., Mrs., and Miss., if they are strangers, he should announce each as distinctly as possible. 2202 Receptions and Evening Parties The drawing-rooms being prepared, the card-tables laid out with cards and counters, and such other arrangements as are necessary made for the reception of the company, 
the rooms should be lighted up as the hour appointed approaches. Attendance in the drawing-room, even more than in the dining-room, should move about actively, but noiselessly. No creaking of shoes, which is an abomination. Watching the lights from time to time, so as to keep up their brilliancy. But even if the attendant likes a game of cribbage or whist himself, he must not interfere in his master or mistress's game, nor even seem to take an interest in it. We once knew a lady who had a footman, and both were fond of the game of cribbage. John in the kitchen, the lady in her drawing-room, the lady was a giver of evening parties, where she frequently enjoyed her favorite amusement. While handing about the tea and toast, John could, not always, suppress his disgust at her mistakes. "'There is more in that hand, ma'am,' he had been known to say, or, "'Ma'am, you forgot to count his knob.' In fact, he identified himself with his mistress's game, and would have lost twenty places, rather than witness a miscount. It is not necessary to adopt his example on this point, although John had many qualities a good servant might copy with advantage. End of section 93 Recording by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California Fall 2007